This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's word of the day is Danny DeVito. Welcome, everybody. Today's guest is J.B. Kish. J.B. is an author of horror, Weird Horror, uh, living in Portland, Oregon, with his wife. His work has appeared in Cosmic Horror Monthly, Metamorphosis Magazine's Best of 2022, and Unsettling Reads' Still of Winter Anthology. His newest short story, Lo-Fi Chocolate Cake, was just accepted for publication for Underland Press's Cozy Cosmic Anthology, The Cozy Cosmic. When is that? That one comes out soon, right? Yeah, October 10th. Oh, I am excited for that one. So yeah. thank you very much for being here. Welcome. Yeah, thank you very much, Ben. I really am excited to be on this podcast. Uh, I love what you're doing specifically for the local writing community, the people that you have on here. So I am I am a big fan of uh, your podcast and excited to get to talk to you. Well, and I know when you're not working on your writing itself, you know, you are also a public speaker. You do, uh, uh, you know, presentations for folks about you know, confidence and and finding their purpose. Uh, and, uh, you know, we met and you were getting ready to do that. And I always like to tell people uh, when people are speaking well of them behind their back, I didn't get to go to yours because I had one that I was doing at the same time. Right. But let me tell you, people were saying they really got a lot out of it. So that was, that was very cool. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was the, the Willamette Writer Conference. Uh, that one specifically was a great presentation, good audience, lots of engagement. So, I mean, anytime you are taking time out of your day to put together something that you think is meaningful, when you get that feedback, it's really, oh, yeah. um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So uh, folks who are watching on YouTube can see, we always dress up in costume for the show. So uh, the folks on the podcast, we need to tell them what it is we're wearing. So tell everybody about your costume that you chose to wear today. Yeah, totally. So um, today, I think we're getting up into the 80s in Portland. It's kind of one of the last hot days of summer before autumn really kicks in. Anytime it gets warm, I go straight to Wet Hot American Summer, the movie, uh, specifically the character Gene. Uh, he's the cook in the film. Uh, he wears a really wonderful tattered sort of uh, blue V-neck crop top uh, that <laughs> I made for thing. myself. It's a bold choice, yeah. It's bold, but it's breezy on a hot day. Um <laughs> Also jeans, slippers, which really help the feet stay cool as well. Um, nice. Purple bandana over my head. Uh, it's a really, it's a functional outfit. It's breezy, but it, it works in a lot of different environments. You know, yeah, we're talking and, weddings. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. Coffee shop. Yeah. yeah. You know, it would be memorable. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, I wanted to go with the movie theme too. And I am a rainy, cold weather guy. Totally. And so I was like, oh, it's almost fall. I get to wear my Matrix costume. Uh, so I've got the the pleather, you know, Trinity body, yeah. body suit going on and this trench coat. And it is too hot for this. Like I am, I am <laughs> just, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm scuba diving yeah. inside this thing right now. But uh, but that's OK, because I, I'm, I'm preparing emotionally for fall, which is my favorite. Like I like the yeah. chilly weather. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, and it looks awesome when, if I leap into the air and then float there right moment before kicking somebody like that, it's a great look. So, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, that I, when I bodying that that's yeah. And when I leap into the air, it doesn't look nearly as cool, but that's just because of the amount of midriff, you know, that's going on. Well, there, I mean, so. it's, it's just a very different kind of, uh, you know, people are different like, kind oh, of vibe. That's a different vibe that you've got when you're floating. <laughs> <laughs> right gut out but i i appreciate it we're, we're sort of celebrating the whole spectrum of the seasons right now yes, that's so right. between you and i we've got it covered the transition yes um so uh this is a show about pod about uh procrastination so mm -hmm. what has been helping you procrastinate uh you know get, get away from the work that you uh you know otherwise uh would would be doing what uh pop culture things been jumping out at you lately yeah so um 
this the big thing in the news and what's been happening in the video game world uh is starfield big triple a game uh that just dropped uh and i'm a big bethesda fan uh and so i've been playing that kind of non-stop how far uh, are you I'll, into it so far uh you know i i like to i like to do like a third of the main quest lines to try and get everything that i think you need sort of skill wise to play the game and then i'll do a hard pause there and then i'm just deep in exploration mode right now are you are you playing it no my son has been playing it i have to go i really want to play it i love it i mean it's beautiful it looks really cool and yet i know beginning of the school year this would be the worst time because i'd be like culling in sick like sorry i need to play straight so i'm like no i cannot start this till like christmas break but my son's been playing and the question i always have for him is but does it have a good story and he said Mm. at the start it was very like rote like you would go talk to this person you didn't have a lot of options in the conversation he said now it's really getting good so yeah a couple chapters in i think that's totally correct and i think that i've heard that online as well and there's a challenge in the in the in when it comes to storytelling in video games your first obligation out the gate is trying to teach your players how to how to use this thing you just built yeah. like how to pick something up how to put it down how to interact with it so i have a very uh a very sort of i'm very flexible with games when i first started playing them because there's this obligation out the gate that you need to start learning how to so whatever mission they put in front of you is just so you understand what buttons do what yeah um and if you can if you can push on through that then the game uh kicks off really really quickly but you know there's uh there's so much playstation xbox controversy happening right now because the game is only on xbox so uh there's a lot of people out there in the PlayStation world that don't like that. And so they, they've been trying to grasp onto anything they can to sort of oh, downplay how popular the, the game the, is. The system wars manifesting as criticism from people who have not played the game. It's <laughs> I, pretty wild. I resent I, that I don't get to yeah. play this, so it's bad. Yeah. The, I, I the opposite. Like, I I resent that I don't get to play, uh, we're, you know, an Xbox household, and I resent that I don't get to play the uh, the God of War series. It looks very cool. And so I'm like, yeah. I want to get to play that. I'm not going to knock it. I It is unfortunate that uh, the, these things are exclusive, but uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. some, someday, maybe, like, you know, retirement, I'll retire and go back and play all of the God of War book <laughs> games. Yeah. On, get a PlayStation just for that purpose. I hear Spider-Man and- on the uh, PlayStation is really great, too. I've heard that as well. And by the time that, you know, we get to retire in our 90s, uh, you know, that we'll be able to play all these things on a cell phone. It'll be like uh, playing Pong. Like, it'll be like, oh, you're, you know, (laughs) very, very retro old school playing something on a PS5. Like, you know, yeah, Yeah. finally. So, yeah. uh, So, yeah. That's, that's been, that's been uh, absorbing an enormous amount of my time and focus. and I've been really loving the hell out of it. Yeah. So what else uh, culture wise has been getting you? Um, so I would say the other big areas of focus outside of writing. Um, I have a horror movie club that uh, I, I care about very much. It's a wonderful group of people. We've been meeting now for over five years uh, monthly. Monthly. Yeah, monthly. Monthly on Zoom. Uh, and, you know, it's it's the, the number of us have fluctuated, but I think we're sitting at seven right now. And it's really wonderful. We all get together for a night. Um, we watch mostly bad horror films together. That's what I was wondering. Is it, it intentionally bad horror or really good horror or, you know, whatever's the movie and then you decide as a group? Yeah, so <laughs> we uh, it's probably 90% of us just razzing each other. So whoever hosts the film night uh, and and picks uh, a movie, if it's not good, then, you know, that's that's really on the host. And yeah. we've got, um, you know, a place where we, you know, document all the films we've watched and we'll uh, write down who the host was of that one. And if it's not good, you know, yeah, yeah. we'll know about it in the spreadsheet. So uh, what are so- some of the classics that you've, uh, you've you know, gone through yeah. the group i mean we uh, we probably always start in the 80s and then expand out from there so anything from the 80s is usually a pretty fair game uh so all of the classic like halloweens uh pumpkin head stuff like that um so really like weirder ones you know that yeah. era yeah all yeah. that but you know just this month month we watched um 13 ghosts that was a 2001 oh, yeah. uh, I saw that film 
Yeah. So, uh, and that one, you know, that one was, it was, it was pretty mediocre. So yeah. you, you, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> I know, some, I was trying to remember. I was like, of... I know I've seen that. Very yeah. little of it sticks in my memory. Mm, that says to me yeah. about its quality. For a good reason. Yeah. Um, there's not much to remember, but it was a great time. And that's, and that's actually the focus is, is more just spending time with these people laughing, um, you know, and just kind of making fun of bad horror. Have you ever done uh, Jacob's Ladder? No, we haven't. Uh, that one and... is, I mean, that one will be, I mean, it's, it's a real, uh, you know, people are divided on that one. I find it very scary. Like I, yeah. I, and some people are like, man, this is slow and lame. So that one might be a good one to check out. Cause it'll be some good conversation about Jacob's ladder. It's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll add that to my more. list. My, yeah. my next one for when I host next, I've been really wanting to show the group. Uh, it's a Japanese, I believe Japanese um, horror film. It's called house. Are you familiar with house? Oh, no. Oh, it's wild. Um, it's really, really wild. Uh, it's about a bunch of these, I think, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it is just so bizarre. It's about a bunch of these girls in high school in Japan go to this haunted house and it is just bizarro. Like one of them gets eaten by this piano at one point. Oh, wow. Very, it's like strange. The filmmakers, I think, were on some like psychedelics and and really it comes out in the main. Well, in, it was, in the movie. What is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in a manga? Let's make that real kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Person. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe some like Junji Ito inspiration yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That sounds great. The house was just called The House. I think it's just House. And there's also an American horror film called House. Uh, so you have to make sure when you're yes. going to look for it that you're getting the correct one. Well, I will try and find a link and put it in the show notes and folks can check it out because that, that I, I'm sure there is somebody sitting, you know, in the audience going, that sounds like the greatest movie I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It's wild. <laughs> you know, like, it okay, is wild. We, will, we will take that out. Cool. So what about in the news? What's been pulling you away from your work that's, you know, uh, it, it all affects the work, right? But what what news stories yeah. have been uh, have been taking your attention away? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's big obvious ones, right? Like we all get pulled into the news cycle. So, so I could cite a thousand things that I'm sure listeners have, have already read about what's going on in the world. Uh, one thing though, that is really special is my uh, mother-in-law, we sort of exchange articles back and forth. She lives on the East coast. Um, but specifically about stuff like archaeology, we oh, that's cool. something that she and I really uh, connected early on. So we'll just kind of lob interesting yeah. uh, articles. And one recently that I came across uh, that I'm going to be sending her is about some new insights they have on what's the title here? It's uh, Egyptian mummification recipes. So uh, recently through some wild science that I'm sure is over my head, they were able to find ingredients in some of the uh, mummification uh, I guess, processes and tools. They were able to extract some of that from, I guess, sarcophagus or maybe from mummy themselves. Uh, but these ingredients that they're finding were sourced in different parts of Europe or Southeast oh, Asia. Wow. So kind of expanding our understanding of how far, um, you know, the Egyptians would take their mummification process. And I've always just been like fascinated yeah. by And how Egypt. far the trade routes must have been for all the right. other groups to bring those things to Egypt. Yeah. Right, that's, that's... right. Uh, it's that's, and that's it's wild. Anytime you're interested in this kind of thing, it, it feels like once you start paying attention, every other day there's some article that comes out that expands oh, yeah. our understanding of how early someone settled some cave on some continent that we didn't think people were there yeah. for ten thousand years. So I I love stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I I got to go to Egypt. I mean, how many years ago was that? Um, and uh, it was an amazing experience. And you're right that the Egyptology is like a live and well science. Like there are lots yeah. of people who are still discovering tons of things, you know, some of which is physically, literally, you know, geographically discovering, hey, here's a new thing that is buried in the sand that we were unaware of. And then some of it is this, yeah. this wild science. But it's interesting. Egypt is a fascinating place. If you ever get to have you ever been able to go? No, no, it's um, somewhere my mother's always wanted to go and I'd love to take her one day. And then just in general, um, just I, you know, I'm sure I've got um, an overly romanticized sort of postcard picture in my head of that, like what it's like to go to Egypt. And I'm very, sure it's very different once you get there. But. Well, but but that is one of the cool things about it. So that that will persist like you will have that and this other because they're really layered on top of each other in this really interesting way. So 
the first thing I would say to folks is, you know, if you wanted to go to Egypt, go. It is there's this like misconception that it's unsafe because, you know, the political situation is not great, whatever. Well, they're desperate, desperate, desperate for tourist dollars. Sure. So go and you will be treated very well. Now, the, yeah. one of the downsides of that desperation is like, you know, it's this kind of tragedy of the commons. Uh, you know, if if everyone would say I am willing to be unsuccessful in my business, then everyone would treat tourists a little better. But because of that desperation, people will literally grab you by the arm and pull you into their store. And so you have to learn to be more assertive and say like, <laughs> no, I am not going yeah. into your, I'm not getting into your cab or somebody's like, Hey, horse drawn carriage. And you're like, ah, I'm being, you know, Midwest nice. And, well, you know, <laughs> you know uh, but uh, the, the, the layers are really wild because here's this country that is, you know, not been uh, managed well by its government, treated horribly by, you know, colonial powers, uh, you know, uh, uh, disempowered. Uh, and so for the last, you know, hundred years of history that you're seeing, well, maybe not that far, uh, but, uh, you know, back to like the 70s, 60s uh, has, has you know, really stagnated and struggled. And, uh, and so you see this kind of surface level of, you know, poverty and mismanagement that manifests in these really interesting ways. Like they have- yeah. There's nobody enforcing building codes. So there are literally buildings that are falling down. Like, you know, yeah. And yet you're looking the other way. And there's a building that, you know, this the same group of people built four thousand years ago that is still standing. <laughs> right. You know, right. So uh, and then the, the, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the the Great Pyramids, the city of Cairo comes right up to them. So you're standing there seeing it and you've seen the postcards and the desert is behind it. It's beautiful. And you turn Super around fast, and there's yeah. KFC and Pizza Hut across the street. <laughs> right. So imagine totally the pharaohs. Yeah. <laughs> imagine right. if pharaohs today could see the pizza. Yes. I, I, I'm, I'm aware of that uh, only because I've looked at satellite imagery. Yes. Of, like I was interested in like, okay, where's this pyramid that I'm reading about right now? And so I've looked it up and then I saw, I remember think, seeing for the few time, maybe just a couple years ago, like, whoa, the city is right up to it the edge. Right of these up things. to it. And then just stops. And then it's the desert. Yeah. You know, right. So, and and that the whole country is right along the Nile. Like, why yeah. would you live in the sand, the dunes that go on beyond that? Right. And so it's this rich, thriving, and the people are really warm and wonderful. You're on the, you know, you're on the Nile, and people are coming up to you in their boats and trying to sell you stuff. Right. Like it's this very active waterway, you know, and 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 people are really kind. It was so it was a wonderful trip in that way. But it feels very strange to see like yeah, half of that apartment building fell down, and the other half still has people in it. And there's a temple uh, that yeah. has been here, you know. So yeah, it's it's a cool experience. I highly recommend. I think it's that age that 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 sort of history that really interests me because you know we grew up and we live now on the west coast, right? And the the country sort of visually gets younger the further mm -hmm. west you travel. So I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, where um, you know it's got its own type of history, but by and large, it's all very new structures yep. out there, right? Um, save for some of the ones that, you know, like the Native Americans have erected out right. there and stuff like that. But you then you go to like Boston or somewhere on the East Coast, you start seeing some of this age and this culture. So I think that's what draws me is yes, I just mean, I like old in stuff. That direction is traveling through time. I love that. Right. You know, you're going, oh, okay, now I'm on the East Coast. And right. I remember, you know, going to the East Coast and going, oh, this is a building that has been here for 200 years you know and then somebody in england is going 200 years Two, <laughs> yeah yeah and then somebody in egypt is going oh wait this building in england is only a thousand years old are right. you kidding me you know like so the further you travel yeah you're you it feels like you are traveling back in time right. which i love that and then meanwhile we're stoked on the new strip mall that gets built out yes. past eight <laughs> so it pops up in 15 minutes and you're like how did right. that even happen yeah but it's got a jamba juice so yeah. you're excited <laughs> yes yes, yes. <laughs> but you they didn't have this in ancient egypt i got jamba juice <laughs> yeah just <laughs> uh so what's a hobby that has been uh, that you've been getting engaged in when you're not working on your writing yeah so that's a really great question and i can almost hear my wife laughing from the other room <laughs> as you ask this i am i'm a hobbyist i love hobbies um and i have collect two, hobbies are you one of the i collect hobbies. the hobby is collecting hobbies the hobby is collecting hobbies but yes. to take it down a slightly one more layer i specifically this I, there's probably no way to make this sound not creepy but i like to collect the communities around oh, yeah. the hobbies i like to collect the people what i mean by that uh, to not sound spooky. Um, I just love learning about an interesting thing. 
um, that sort of sparks my sort of joy and imagination. And then I say to myself, like, who are the people that are obsessed with this thing? Because I bet they are fascinating to talk yeah. to. So I have gone deep in um, the Viewmaster, the old school, uh, what a lot of people know as like the Fisher Price toy, but yeah, yeah, prior yeah. to that, Prior to that, it goes back, you know, all the way to World War II and even earlier than that. Um, so, for example, like I, I, I collect all of the pre-Fisher Price reels uh, where they were for a while trying to replace like the postcard industry. So everywhere you go, different, you go to the Grand Canyon, you go out to the Dalles or something like that. There would be at your local gas station reels you could buy. They were trying to replace postcards. And these were for um, adults. This was designed for adults. To, yeah. Know, remember your trip. Use your faster. Yeah. In fact, there was even the that. military, um, they commissioned having a bunch of reels made for uh, our soldiers during World War II to spot enemy sort of combatant aircraft. So you can literally, literally click through these reels and try and uh, see what an airplane is uh, and be able to um, sort of identify it. So Which is smart, I, just, like I, I think it's hysterical thinking about all these soldiers sitting, you know, somewhere just right. clicking through these and then we move on and it becomes toy story for kids. Right. Um, so I met a lot of wonderful people in the Viewmaster um, community. Uh, some folks over in Europe, I created a huge collection. I donated it to the Oregon historical society. It was the, the, the biggest uh, donation. So I've got this great little collection there, of uh, different viewers and stuff. Uh, really wonderful community there. Um, other other communities that I've like gone deep on metal detecting, model trains, um, bad horror movies, obviously zines. I got into the zine community here in Portland for a short while. Now, uh, the so, zine community is that folks producing them now, or is that more historical? Like going back and trying to find back issues from the nineties and today's, yeah. yeah, today's today's zine community sort of. Uh, they they have um, annual meetups, uh, groups uh, monthly you can go meet, and people who are just that sort of guerrilla style zine political issues yeah uh, comedy uh you know cartoons so that's a really fun community yeah uh, but the best i think the best was um most recently i got to meet the community behind portland sort of model hobbyist trains oh yeah um my wife uh, has her mother's childhood train set uh, so this is kind of an older school electrical yeah. set, not kind of today's plug and play. Right. Uh, this one has that giant like dial yes. you crank up and the, the train starts speeding around and it was uh, not working. And as a gift to my wife, I, I wanted to try and get this thing up and running again for last Christmas. And I found a uh, model train store here in town and I went in there and it was like uh, a cheetah approaching a bunch of zebras at the watering hole. I, I walked in and you could tell it all these men looked at me and they were trying to assess who is this guy and, and what's his deal. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I probably walked in with like a band t-shirt like I'm wearing now. And I was probably pretty aloof and, and yeah. I think I could just tell they didn't want to be messed with. Right. This yeah. is, this is our passion. This is don't, don't come in here and, and, and screw around. So I very politely explained what I was doing there. And I had watched a couple of YouTube videos. So I picked up a couple of the sort of jargon. I started dropping that and you could see their defenses lower. And yeah. then the next thing you know, they're talking to you, I'm meeting people. And it was a hysterical afternoon spent with a bunch of uh, adult men uh, who are just obsessed with these yeah. trains. Um, and it was very informative. I yeah. appreciated my time with them. Uh, and that's what I love. So, well, and I wonder if what you're collecting there is that energy, you know, that, 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 that obsessive, like, yeah. we love this thing and it's yeah. fun to be around people like that who have, you know, I, oh. I love, you know, I go to Rose City Comic Con every year and that passion people have for like niche, yeah. like here's something that's not Marvel or DC. It's, you know, this like indie yes. press, you know, and I dress up in the costume and it's like, I, this person is somebody, this is my people, <laughs> somebody yeah. who loves this thing that nobody else has ever heard of, but they love it, you know, with this passion that's just wonderful. That you're spot on. There's something about seeing people or an individual just thrive in their element yeah. that if you are willing to just kind of soak it in, it brings a lot of joy. You don't need to be into the thing they're into, but if you can yeah. just sit down with somebody and ask what they go deep on, if like if I were to take you a bar and if I were to buy you a beer, what could you talk for hours about? Yeah. 
Yep. There's I mean, something that's about why I seeing love people. writers so much. Like writers groups are, you know, I can sit down with somebody who writes something that's totally outside of my wheelhouse. They write, you know, they write uh, uh, romance and not just romance, but romance that's like way outside of anything that yeah. will enter into my books, you know, uh, yeah. that, you know, some very obscure erotica or they write like historical fiction in this very niche historical period or memoir or whatever that is, you know, about their experience in the 1950s. Or whatever. And it doesn't matter because it's like yeah. the passion they bring to the writing. I'm like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to talk all night. Like, you know? Yeah, totally. So then let me flip it around. I'd love to know what's your kind of favorite niche hobby that you've got. Yeah, my, my thing is definitely writing. I've been uh, working, I've, I've never written a craft book before. I've never been interested in that. And this year I finally was like, okay, I have been teaching a creative writing class, you know, a couple yeah. classes a, a, a week for, you know, decade, more than a decade now. I've got all this stuff. I should be putting this down. And totally. I could talk about writing forever. Like, you know, and, and that's been one of the kind of motivations to even do this show is how do we make a show that is for readers rather than writers? Because, you know, we can get together in our own little writing world and get so yeah. the weeds, which is fun. But then readers are like, this is not targeted at me, you know? And so I'm like, no, this yeah. is a show to help readers get to know us, not a craft show, you know? Uh, but, uh, but I love that stuff. Like I, I went and yeah. saw uh, Eric Witchy. If you got to see any of his at Willamette writers, I know as presenters, we don't get to, you know, get right. into one another's rooms a lot, but he's somebody where he's just masterful and yes. he's getting into the weeds. Like it's, it's, yes. know, here's this systematized way to control your time often when that's one of the things he really focuses on when you're writing and you yeah. come out of there just going like, I'm with my people. Like people were totally into how do you, you know, like down to the minute, 45 minutes and yeah. focus. I mean, he's really, yeah, he's, he's great. So uh, I, I want to get him on the show at some point. Oh yeah. He's somebody I would love to meet more. I got to meet him briefly in passing at the conference. We shook hands really quickly as we kind of, uh, I, I took his place at, at an event and he, so he get to take off and I just got to shake his hand really briefly in passing, but, um, would love to sit down and talk with him, uh, more. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you, I mean, you, you would end up going, where did the time go? It's two in the morning, like yeah. closing this bar down, you know, like he's that kind of guy. Uh, and, yeah. you know, he's got all these wonderful stories too. He's a I mean, great natural storyteller as well. Yes. But, yes. Uh, but as far as his, you know, devotion to the craft, like he's the guy that I would go, you know, what do you think of this? And then he would go, well, here are 10 different, uh, you know, uh, great authors thoughts on that subject. Like he's done right. research. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's, you know, I'm, I'm going, well, this is my perception of this, this is my opinion, you know, and he's like, oh yeah, but I can tell you my opinion as well. And also 10 other experts. Cause he, he has right. researched that stuff. Whereas I find a lot of craft books intensely boring. And so part of my motivation <laughs> is like, how can I make one that is fun for high school students and, you know, the folks who are just getting into that world and it's not, Oh, I'm, this is being sold because it's, it's Michener and, you know, it's, it's yeah. writers who are very, very serious about their craft. Like how can this be an intro to creative writing kind of book? Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it'll be fun. Is that out yet? When is that coming? Oh, out? No, I'm working on it currently. So I and, cool. and it's been fun in class to say to the students, this is this project that I'm going to take on this year. I want your help, you know, and so yeah. the students are have been engaging with that, which is fun. They, you know, they're, oh, you should include that, you know, and so. Oh, you're getting like real time feedback oh, yeah. on stuff. I, absolutely. So I, I, I've got That's this brilliant, whole, you know, mechanism of how to provide this to students in a, in a, you know, interesting way that hopefully, you know, some high school teacher out there, will go, Oh, well, I never felt comfortable teaching a creative writing class, but if I've got this text, great. You know, so it's, it's very much a, you know, mechanism to, to get young people engaged and thinking about writing uh, in a way that is fun rather than here's a famous author you've never heard of. They said something about writing that is so, you know, in the weeds and, and uses vocabulary you don't understand. Right. Uh, yeah. That's, that's not helpful. So yeah, I, right. I hope it can be accessible and, and a kick in the pants. That's kind of the goal. Well, I look forward to reading that. Yeah. Well, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things uh, when I am trying to help readers get to know authors uh, a, a mechanism to do so is to think about as a as a metaphor if you yourself were a character in dungeons and dragons what would be your race and class yeah 
love that question. Uh, and I, so I, I have played a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons, not a lot. I, I ran through one campaign with some friends and we did it for about a year. And in that time, I was able to uh, really flesh out this character. His name is Mormar. Uh, he is a, a fighter dwarf. Uh, and I describe him basically as if you're familiar with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he's kind of that Danny DeVito, but uh, sort of in in Dungeons and Dragons. So he's he's a bit chaotic uh, and mostly there for laughs. Now, how close is Mormar to you? Like, how are you similar and different from Mormar? Yeah, so uh, Mormar is really interesting because he kind of, he taught me a lot about myself. We're, we're similar in that uh, I am basically a, just a grown child who's always looking for an opportunity to make people laugh. I, I struggle to take most things seriously, which is a double-edged sword at times. And I learned about something playing Dungeons and Dragons called, uh, I think it's called like main character syndrome or complex or something. Oh, I've like heard that, this. Yes. Where somebody at the table really thinks the story is all about them. Mormar may have helped me learn that at times I have a little bit of that main character <laughs> syndrome. Yeah. And that I need to uh be better at spotting those moments where I can reel back, let other people shine. Um, and so that was a that was a really great journey for me because I I definitely started with Mormar wanting to do all the cool things, get all the best weapons, uh, help craft the best story. Um, and I started to realize over time, luckily nobody had to take me aside. I kind of started to spot it in myself that I was robbing other people of their opportunity yeah. to shine. So yeah. And um, it's a, one of the good things about the structure of the game, if you are like, I am withholding so that I can win this particular battle in the most dramatic way at the climax, the team is going to do worse than if you go, I'm going to do my absolute <laughs> right. best on this turn and right. hopefully you'll defeat the enemy next turn, you know? And so, yeah, uh, yeah that, that learning that is, it's a valuable thing to learn about oneself through a fun Absolutely. game. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think more people should play Dungeons and Dragons just to, just to gain self-awareness. Yeah, as therapy. <laughs> right, as therapy. therapy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not bad at all. Okay, so... You are uh, attacked by three goblins in the woods. You're walking, yeah. you know, down the uh, through the woods by yourself. These are level one goblins. What do you do? Yeah. So early on, Mormar would try to do the most ridiculous thing possible. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I suppose in my defense, it was my first time playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So I was trying to flex the system, trying to understand my own boundaries. So any way I could get some kind of competitive edge, like if I could hide somewhere ridiculous or climb up into some tree or do some crazy maneuver, I would I would try to do that. Uh, something way over the top. And then I it would quickly come crashing down when the dungeon master would say, okay, that's absurd. You now have to roll this, 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 and this. And that's where I check my sheet and go, oh, I'm terrible at those. And he's yeah, like, yeah, maybe you should try that. something yeah. Yeah. a little more straightforward. Um, so I did eventually gain uh, a falcon companion um and the falcon i would send in uh usually just to start taking taking care of like the early pickings and then i'd follow up with my team so Very i think that's what i do here send the falcon in and then the whole team collectively you've uh, learned can... to build community rather than <laughs> take it on on your own that's good yes that's absolutely absolutely okay well we're going to go to our ad break and when we come back i'm going to ask you about what you've been daydreaming about Today's episode is brought to you by the all-new merch store at notapipepublishing.com. Of course, the site has books and books and more books, but we also have merch like t-shirts and hats and art prints. My apologies to YouTube viewers, but podcast listeners, imagine a far more handsome t-shirt model telling you, I just got this new shirt, which shows a ghost saying, boo is Latin for I shout. Seriously, look it up. You're welcome. We have hats with the logo from Unrelenting by Jesse Hennard and Marie Parks, the logo from our Stories Within anthology, and stickers that show Justice Sotomayor saying, respectfully, I dissent, with the respectfully crossed out because she chose to omit that in her response to the court's recent homophobic ruling. And there are art prints by Michaela Thorne, the artist and author of Tooth and Claw. Check out all the great merch at the store and use the code SHOWFAN for 10% off your entire order. All that's in the show notes. 
Also, we're always on the lookout for great guests and advertisers. So if you have a book or other product to sell and you're looking for a group of the most intelligent, witty, discerning readers, let us help you make that connection. Our ad rates are as low as 15 bucks and guests will never pay to be on the show. Right, Doug? We, we agreed on that. We only have guests we want to talk to. Some jerk offers us a billion dollars to be on the show. No way. Take a hike. Keep your billion, Elon. Stuff it in a pillow and hug it and cry because you're not cool enough to be on this show. Them's the breaks. You too, J.K. Rowling. Get your hateful, racist, transphobic ass out of here. You can't buy an empathetic soul with that billion dollars, and it won't get you on this show either. The rest of you, make Writers Not Writing a part of your marketing plan today. Welcome back, everybody. So, JB, what have you been daydreaming about lately? Yeah, so... I, I I want to talk about this in like the least depressing way because it's it's, it's it can be a very positive thing. But I daydream uh, or rather spend a lot of my free time just thinking about chronic illness. Mm. Um, I I have Crohn's disease, and that's a big aspect of my life that influences a lot of decisions that I've I've made to date and will continue to make for the rest of my life. Uh, so I spend a lot of time specifically thinking about other artists. Um, with chronic illness and how they uh, sort of navigate their lives with that. Um, so El, El Mitchell, who you had recently yes. on your podcast, I think a few episodes ago, yeah. who's amazing. Um, she and I met uh, recently and really strongly connected over this specific topic um, because, you know, as she spoke about on your podcast is somebody who struggles with her own uh, chronic illness. And it was the first time I think I had met somebody who I'd seen explore that through her writing, which is exactly mm -hmm. something I've done in all of my works, not all of them, but a good majority of my works have something to do with kind of like the inner process of how our bodies work and um, is a reflection of uh, my journey with um, uh, Crohn's disease. So I think a lot about that. I think about just how people are coping. Um, I think about uh, how challenging it is for people to uh, go day to day with an invisible illness that could just be really detrimental physically and mentally. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask about that because Crohn's disease absolutely is one of those invisible illnesses. Like if you didn't tell yeah. somebody, they're not going to know. What is something that that affects you day to day that people who don't know anything about Crohn's disease don't know and that you wish people understood about the way this affects you on a day to day basis? Yeah. So- Crohn's is interesting and affects, like every, like any illness, affects people very differently. Um, one of the, ah, man, there's there's so many great answers to the question you just asked. I think I think there's a huge psychological aspect to Crohn's disease that people are unaware of. You know, um, IBD and Crohn's and colitis are what we kind of describe as like an embarrassing disease, right? A lot of the symptoms of this are manifesting in the bathroom, right? So you go to the bathroom and you're seeing, you're having symptoms of diarrhea or, you know, blood in your stool. And when you're a young person and you experience that, it's uh, mortifying. It's terrifying, yeah, it's right? Scary. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's really scary. And then your journey to diagnosing that and trying to figure it out can be really challenging if you're not finding the right healthcare providers, um, so psychologically, there's uh, a huge mental game to this. And because it is an uncomfortable topic to talk about, people don't. Um, so I've, I spent a couple years back pre-pandemic volunteering at uh, something called Camp Oasis. Uh, so Camp Oasis, they do, it's uh, put on by the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. They do camps all around the country and there's one up in Washington. I just got connected with through some volunteer work and they asked if I wanted to be a volunteer camp counselor for a week at this camp, um, which was uh, a really exciting opportunity for me because I didn't really ever go to like a traditional camp as a kid. So I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. And uh met some great adults, friends there um, who also have uh, IBD, Crohn's and colitis. And the wonderful thing about this camp is it's a week of people uh, spending time with each other. So you take a bunch of kids specifically who are struggling with a disease that's very embarrassing to talk about um, and physically just withers you away. Another answer to your question is sometimes when you're in the middle of a flare, it can be really challenging to keep nutrients in your body, right? So you're just kind of eating or struggling to eat, but no matter what you're doing, you're getting skinnier and you're getting skinnier. Yes. And that's um, another really scary symptom. Uh, sometimes it's so bad, they have to take out parts of your colon. Uh, you have an ostomy, uh, it gets replaced with a bag. So you've got 
all these kids coming together who've struggled individually. And some of them for the first time are being around their peers in the community. And one of, I ended up doing uh, this uh, volunteer work for, I think maybe four, four summers, uh, because it was such a wonderful experience to see what I, what I really loved were not the kids who had been coming reoccurring, right? They got it. They understood it. What I loved were the first time campers who showed up. You could see how scared they were to you know, go to camp. That's scary for a kid in general. But then if you have IBD and the cool thing is at these camps, they, um, they put a huge amount of effort into increasing like the access to bathrooms. So right. they bring in porta potties all over the, so it's hilarious because you've got this traditional camp structure and then suddenly there's like porta potties everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But it's um, practical, but it's practical. And you see these kids, the first 24 hours, very hesitant. They don't quite get it. And then, you know, by the second day, you've got people like showing off their ostomies (laughs) and just like like, nobody's weird because everybody's weird. And that is such, um, it is, I, I, it's, I struggle to communicate emotionally the impact of that because when you talk about it, uh, it sort of lowers the stigma and that gets you out of that mental state that I talked about when I first started answering your question of the the sort of psychological game can be really detrimental, especially to young people. I, I was um, blessed in that I got to go 18 years of my life before my symptoms started showing. Mm. We got kids who are showing up who are diagnosed, uh, you know, four or five, you know, kids are getting diagnosed as infants now. It's a, it's on the rise. Um, so yeah, that's that's um, a really wonderful experience that I got to have going to that camp. And do you find that folks like I can just imagine at the camp that there becomes kind of a uh, you know inside outside speech, like where people are saying this is how we are communicating about our needs here, and also let me give you some tips about how to talk to the folks outside of this camp about yeah. you know I've I've learned this phrase that's really been helpful to me. I got I got a Crohn's yeah. disease break. I got to go. You know, like and, yeah. and so people are learning that you know. Inside yeah, or outside absolutely. of baseball. It's totally that. Um, and then you've got these kids after they spend a week together, they go back to their small town in California or Oregon uh, where they don't know anybody with that disease, but they are riding that energy. They've yeah. now got that confidence. You see them come back a year later. They're stoked to be back, see their friends. All their friends are communicating now because social media is like anybody can yeah. Um, and yeah, and then I, you know, just being there as an adult, got to meet other adult counselors and now have my own chat group growing with, uh, you know, cause I didn't actually have a very large Crohn's community myself, uh, because again, people don't want to talk about this, yeah. but, uh, now I've got a great chat thread, um, with some dear friends and anytime one of us is up for a colonoscopy or having a bad flare or getting to try some new exciting drug that just got approved, you know, we're, we're, we're chatting about it and that, that, that is 50% of the game right there is keeping a positive mindset and you've got to have community to do that like anything else. Well, I was going to say, what are some tips and tricks, but maybe that's it. I mean, maybe a lot Mm. of it is just the positivity, but are there any other kind of tips and tricks that you heard people sharing where you were like, that is cool. I wish more people knew about that. Yeah. You know, I, I always come back to just that idea of communication. Um, really anytime I meet somebody new, occasionally somebody who knows that I have it and I'm very open about speaking about it, will send somebody who's just been diagnosed my way. And the first thing I tell them is get out there and find your community because the second you can start talking about it openly and not in that sort of hushed voice, I'm embarrassed to talk about this thing that just happened. It's liberating. It's freeing. And psychologically, you know, stress, it's, you, you know, this, it it impacts the body. There's, there's plenty of evidence to show that stress has a negative effect on you. So when you're going through, um, you know, this flare or whatever it is you're going through with your, your own chronic illness, you got to remove as much of that stress element as you can, because it's just unnecessary baggage on top of a problem that you're already trying to solve for. Well, yeah, I, I think about, you know, it's similar to other, uh, you know, conditions that are um, psychological or, you know, uh, you know, folks who are neurotypical, like the diagnosis and community are part of the treatment, you know, like, you know, discovering, oh, this is a symptom of my ADHD or my autism or whatever is so helpful to go. And now I don't have to mask in quite the same way because I'm not stressed about that because I understand where it comes from. And I've connected with others who, deal with it in a different way or whatever. And so, yeah, I, I bet that's Absolutely. a lot of it is finding your people. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, making jokes as soon as you, I mean, cause it's like, if you can just make, if you can yeah. laugh at yourself, uh, then, you know, you, that's another great way for helping people laugh with you and bring some of that levity to life because we need more levity in our lives yeah. uh, just across, just across the board. Yes. Agreed. Um, so that's, that is, that's awesome. And I am excited to kind of get that out into the world and get people thinking about that. The people, you know, there's this wonderful piece that I highly recommend. I know that, uh, uh, you know, he, the, the author himself has become, uh, you know, canceled is not the term he passed away, but uh, David Foster Wallace uh, has mm-hmm. some issues uh, that have come to light, but he's got this wonderful speech that he gave at, uh, I'm trying to remember what, Vassar or some university at their graduation. Um, that, that's about how education isn't about, you know, necessarily making money or, you know, whatever. Uh, it's about changing our ability to think about things so that in the moment we have the freedom to say, I could choose to think about this differently. And I think, you know, when it comes to something like, you know, any kind of uh, chronic illness, the more all of us can learn, then the more we can say, oh, I could choose to imagine, I could choose to perceive that maybe this person is struggling for a reason other than the, the reason that was my first impulse. You know, this person seems irritable. Maybe this person is really yeah. struggling today. <laughs> and yeah. now I understand why. And I will treat people differently because I have gained the ability. And so, you know, like, I don't need to even know that a person has Crohn's. Like, a yeah. person is struggling today. And the more I can learn about the various kinds of struggles people face, the less I'm willing to go snap judgment. Why is that person taking a 15 minute break? Uh, maybe right. they need to take that 15 right. minute break and I shouldn't presume that it's, you know, like I should yeah. have different, you know, uh, ways that I could imagine it might be rather yeah. than, you know, leaping to the the, the most cynical. Uh, I'll, I'll post a, a, a link to the speech because it, it is the kind of thing that, you know, I encourage you watch it and then you'll, you'll find yourself saying, oh yeah, this is water which is yeah. this crazy keeps coming back to it's really wonderful so yeah i'll, I'll post a link my, my fiance and i both i was showing it to her and we both even since then have had moments where we're like i was irritated with this person and then i realized maybe there's this thing i don't know <laughs> you know like I, I love that i'll read that and i imagine that must show up for you so often in teaching because you're, you're you're speaking to this audience that is shifting every what like 60 to 90 minutes and yeah. you're bringing in all these new faces on a regular basis and each year you have to make those uh quick surface level judgments about people's personalities but to not to not further judge them when you start to see more of them show and show up in different ways must be um an interesting challenge as much as it is an opportunity for you and but i think you're right it's the opportunity part like i think the further i get in my career the the more i have benefited from saying what this student is dealing with is not me like, yeah. this is not about me. This student yeah. is struggling with this other thing. You know, one of the things you, you I, I struggled with early in my career was like, why is this student not putting forth effort in this way? Well, A, I was saying in this way I would. So it was very self, you know, self-centered. Right, there it and is. C, yeah. it was, you know, I, I am I am putting the, the onus on the student. The student is, you know, and later in your career, you start to realize often the student is, resistant because of a reason other than I don't like you. I don't like this content. You know, maybe it's the student doesn't feel like they can be successful. And so projecting, I don't care is protection. Maybe the student is hungry, tired. Uh, You know, mom's new creepy boyfriend is, uh, you know, worrying them all the time. Like you don't know. So being able to go, this isn't about me. How can I make this student, give the student the confidence that they can be successful and then yeah. give them the space. And tomorrow is a day when they might feel that. Maybe it's not today. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, get, get, getting beyond ourselves is a huge part of teaching. And it takes many, many, many years. I am learning like, oh, yeah, I am a lot more chill now than I was right. early in my career because my kids are dealing with stuff that is more important than whether or not they can use a semicolon correctly. It's not about <laughs> right. right. Yeah. But that patience you're describing is currency. So like anything else in life, probably earlier on in your career, you don't have as much of that currency yeah, you're right. or you spend it very quickly. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that, so, appeal, right. Oh no. Yeah. If, if this kid acts out, they're all going to see it and I'm going to lose control. Right. And yeah, so you're I'm terrified like as a young teacher, teacher and later yeah. you're like, if this kid acts out, Maybe they need to. It's okay. We'll move on. Yeah, we can keep, <laughs> we can keep going. 
we can keep going. <laughs> yep, yep. And then I can have cool. a private talk with them and go, it seems like you were having a rough day. I, I care about you. And uh, I'm, I'm a little worried. I've had guys who are, you know, these, these like giant, you know, yeah. burst into tears because yeah. like, I never hear an adult man say they care about it's huge. That's great. I'm so happy that you create that space where people can be comfortable. That's amazing. That that is the part that I enjoy the most. The grading, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got to get those TAs, man. Just yes, make the TAs. Do I it. need to figure out a way to be better about that. <laughs> More efficient <laughs> at uh, at delegating. Right. So, uh, one of the things I uh, always oh no before we move on and I skip this. What is something that is going on that you want to let folks know about that's coming up? Yeah. So I've got kind of two things going on right now. One is the workshop that we talked about at the Willamette Writers. Um, I'm having just a, a lot of fun. It's uh, So it's uh, road mapping your author journey, right? So basically I have a background in tech uh, as a, a project manager. And um, one of the ways that I started advancing my own writing career was by starting to apply some pretty basic concepts in the world of project management to my artist career, which seems like a funny way of selling out at first, but then you start to see results oh, and you think, really oh, practical. maybe it's actually very practical. And, and maybe as artists, we we sort of put this sort of method of thinking at arm's length because it doesn't feel like the true artist's struggle, right? Um, but if you can get over that and apply some of these techniques, you can really start to see your goals start inching forward. So I'm loving that. It went really well at the uh, Willamette Writers Conference. I'm doing it again for the Vancouver chapter uh, later oh, this cool. month. And then I'm doing it again for the Horror Writers Association, uh, an online class that they've got going on. So uh, really just having a lot of fun with that. At the Is moment. the Vancouver one going to be a hybrid as well? I know that a lot it of It will be hybrid. Yeah, so it will be folks, hybrid. No matter where you are, check that out. It will be worth your time. And that's a great you know way for somebody who's you know, Willamette Writers is very inexpensive. Like you're mm. getting a total steal of a deal to go, okay, I'm going <laughs> to go to this Willamette Writers meeting for 10 bucks and get this really oh, yeah. cool course. So yeah, I encourage folks. I'll post a link to that too. But uh, yeah, that's great. And, you know, yeah. like I said, people afterwards were saying, this was really meaningful to me. Like they came out of there excited about what they were going to do in terms of planning their next steps. Because I think often we don't, I, I I tend to be obsessed with starting with why am I doing this? And I was talking to my fiance about some people start doing something and they don't like think it through. Yes. Okay, but why is this really the next, should this be the next yes. step? And so starting from a deep place of, you know, what, what is the, what is the, is, does this actually make sense? Or am I just going through the motions is so. Yeah. Important. You're spot on. Um, and that's my favorite part of the workshop is I actually open up with challenging people on why they're writing in the first place, which can be very uncomfortable for people. Yeah. And it's a squishy thing to try and answer what our why is. And and we we like to say things like, you know, I'm here to write or I want to be a New York Times bestseller. But when you really start diving into that, you say, well, why do you want to be a New York Times bestseller? What does that actually do for you? And that's, I love that one as my example, because everybody starts uh, as a writer thinking they're going to be the next New York Times bestseller right. sensation. It's just, it, it's, it's a, a barrier you have to pass through. It's part of the, you know, it's part of the gauntlet. Once you're through it, it's like, welcome to the club. And listen, there's still a few people who come out the gate as sensations and that's fine. I'm not one of them. A lot of the people that I talk to are not one of yeah. them. So in the meanwhile, once you can get over over that and start asking yourself really that deep question of what motivates you, what, what are your inner motivations, you can pivot some of your goals. And when you pivot those goals, that's when you start seeing that incremental progress, right? That's when you start getting that dopamine of checking things off your list. That's when you start accomplishing your goals. So I love what you're saying about that. Why? And it's, it's a really important thing to ask. And it's funny because I've done this workshop and there's people in there who have been writing for decades. It's the first time they've asked themselves, why, why do I write? Why am I here? And that's a, it's a liberating and terrifying space to operate. Yeah. Uh, and I love pushing people there. <laughs> yeah. I will. And it, you know, feel free to steal this. If this is a useful uh, uh, metaphor for, you know, I'm, I'm a big NBA fan and yeah. the number of people who are, you know, players in the NBA is roughly one to a million of people in the United States. 
And so if you are saying to yourself, I'm going to go out and shoot hoops because I want to be in the NBA, it's a one in a million shot. And what these players often find is they like basketball. They enjoy, there's something about the game they enjoy, whether that's, Mm -hmm. they like the attention, they like the actual play of it itself. They like feeling, you know, that they like the, you know, the way they physically feel when they are playing, whatever. And then kind of society says all of this drives to one goal. You should try and get to be playing at this elite level. And some of them find out when they're in the NBA, they're not happy. It doesn't necessarily make them happy because that wasn't something they picked. Like, you know, it was the way it goes. And some of them are much happier after they retire and they are leading summer camps with kids or whatever. That's what they love. They love some element of the game other than it must go to, you must be a New York Times bestselling author. You might find yourself a New York Times bestselling author who is miserable. If you've not thought about why you want to get there, you know, yeah not letting somebody else determine this is what success looks like for you. Yeah. And it's also making that distinction between, you know, what is a, what is an inner why and what is a goal? And those are two very different things. And being a New York times bestseller is a goal and arguably a not very good one. Um, So I love popping that bubble. (laughs) Um, And the reason I use that analogy when we're talking about New York times bestseller is the numbers are worse for writers. There are fewer yeah. than 330 whatever uh, oh, New York yeah. Times bestsellers a year. So your chance to become a New York Times bestseller is worse than your chance to get into the NBA. And let me yeah. tell you, if anybody's ever seen me play basketball, NBA is not happening. Uh, and so <laughs> having to you know, then get to the place where I go, yeah, New York Times bestseller is not my goal. That's not yeah. this, thing, this thing that I am striving for. Uh, I yeah. want to get to a place where I can write all the time. Yeah. You know, that would yeah. be a wonderful goal. That's a, you know, and even that you're right. Yeah. The goal. It's not the why, like the why is really, I, I wrote a yeah. mission statement for the company this last year, and that was a good practice. Why do yeah. this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you've got this quality about you where, you know, I, you're a teacher, you're writing books on craft, you're working with students, you're creating this podcast that uh, is uplifting a community and helping audiences get to know authors on a little bit of a a level. So if I had to speculate on what your why is, there's a heavy dose of mentorship that seems to course through you, right? That is what I'm talking about. That starts to get at the thing that drives you and writing and teaching. These are vehicles that help you scratch. Late late in my life. Like it was as I, I got to the point where I was doing too many things, so, you know, I was trying to, I ran for, you know, vice president of my state union. I like, I was trying, it was just too much. I was trying to, do, yeah. I was overwhelmed. I was trying to do all these yeah. things. And I was thinking, what do these things have in common? And I was thinking about the elements of all of them, because, you know, every, any job you have, you know, every job you've had, there's parts of it you enjoy and there are parts that you hate, right? That's yeah, no, totally. Uh, you know, I do not like grading papers. I have colleagues who <laughs> love creating curriculum. That is their favorite part. For me, it's standing up in front of students and those aha moments, right? I love yeah. the students, you know, some yeah. teachers run great groups. I do a lot more direct instruction, which is probably not the best teaching, but I, I'm good at that and I enjoy that. And what I found was when I looked at all the various things that I enjoy doing, there was that through line of, I enjoy that moment when I'm helping, when I'm inspiring people, when people are feeling like, oh, I can do more than I thought I could do. Yeah. And whether yeah. that's, you know, hey, read this novel that I wrote that's, you know, this 400 page tome. And at the end of it, you feel inspired or it is this class that I teach and you feel inspired. The through line is the inspiring, not the becoming a New York times bestseller. And everybody goes, you know, yay, good for you. You became a New York times bestseller, but your work wasn't inspiring to anyone. Yeah. That would not make me happy. Well, I'll tell you what, man, you're, you're kicking butt at it. So keep it up. Well, we'll see. Still trying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, lots of things in the works, but uh, you know, also learning, to once you find that why okay how can i pare down the things that don't move in that direction yes you know, yes that's hard for me that's, so, that's, that's another big no part of the workshop i love that your spot that's totally correct so yeah folks check that out that will be really uh, valuable uh, and what what's the horror organization that will you'll be doing the the second one 
Yeah, the Horror Writers Association. So National Association, if you're a horror writer, you can join at different tiers, depending on your publication sort of portfolio. Uh, they have different chapters. We just opened the um, Oregon chapter. Uh, so we've got uh, local meetups for anybody who might be watching is interesting. Uh, you can you can check that out. Um, and actually, that that leads me quickly to the, the second thing that I'm very excited about, um, the Cozy Cosmic. That's a new yes. horror anthology that's coming out by Underland Press. Uh, edited by some wonderful humans. And this thing is such a heavy hitter. The table of contents on this is so good. And I was uh, fortunate enough to get my piece in there. And that is coming out on October 10th. Okay. And it's, um, it's the whole premise is just, you know, cosmic horror, but make it cozy, right? You want to, you want I, that I sense of, that I, you know, I see these like, and I'm like, Ooh, I would love to submit to everything yeah. for that. I was like, I'm gonna have to wait and read it because I don't know that I know Cosmic C Cozy well enough to, you know, it's it's you know Cthulhu in the kitchen, like and, yeah, and yeah, got me excited. I was, I'm, I will love that. Yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be so good. Like I said, the table of contents on this is amazing. Um, yeah. So yeah, looking forward well, to that. Right, the people who are in there, like you, you are in very good company too. Those are some really fun. That I, I know them as people, you know, outside of their work as well, and they're really fun people. But uh, they yeah, know how to write, <laughs> so yeah, that will absolutely. be a fun one. Absolutely. So. Um, I always, I, I try to uh, always post a weekly poll. I'm, I've been remiss over the last few weeks. So if this never appears anywhere, it's still a good way for folks to get to know you. So if you were polling people, uh, what would be a question you'd want us to run as like a Twitter, Facebook poll? What's a question? Yeah. The, yeah. the masses. So I ran this past my wife and, you know, I, because I just uh, am spooky by nature. I love horror. I love horror movies. Uh, we went to cryptids. Okay. So what's your favorite cryptid? And then we boiled it down. If you had to choose Chupacabra or Loch Ness, which way you go in there? That's uh, so really that would be my because it it tell you know it's a good Rorschach like it says a lot yeah. about you which is I think the one so that, that'll be a good one that, that, I'm not sure what it says about you yet right but we'll there needs to be a follow up out. maybe you know folks right. should weigh in with why what does this say about me <laughs> yeah what well, if you're if you're team Nessie why and yeah. I think we'll start to see a pattern emerge there yes yes absolutely I wonder if that will track with some of the other questions we've asked in an interesting way <laughs> too so yeah okay good sure. I'll definitely I will try and remember to toss that one up this week cool so what's in your to read pile what are you looking forward to checking out coming up soon uh yeah i've got a great little to read pile that i'm setting up here um in heading into autumn but at the top is uh the trees grew here because i bled there is that i want to make sure yeah, that's the trees uh, grew because i bled there i've heard about this one the trees grew because i bled there that is eric laroca or laraca i'm not sure so i'll say both pronunciations um but eric is a shooting star in the horror community right now um if 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 you follow any people on bookstagrammers or twitters eric is showing up everywhere so uh this is the book that i picked up at powell's and i can't wait to dive into it because um eric is just he's crushing it um oh, so that's very great. i will i will certainly uh, post to that and check it out myself the tr and what yeah. a great title yeah, I mean, come because on. I bled there. Yep, sold. Like every once in a while, you'll come across a book and you're like, "Yep, that title that did all the work for for me. I'm in." Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put that in there. And uh, where can folks find you online? Yeah, so um, JB Kish, K I S H. So jbkish.com. That's got all my information right there. Uh, Instagram is is mostly where I'm hanging out these days. And I'm starting a Substack. Uh, so okay. I'm putting some of this thinking I've been doing around project management in the artist space. I'm going to start uh, publishing some thoughts there on Substack that people can um, start finding this outside of my workshops. And I'm trying to make that a little bit more generic to the world of art. Um, so you don't necessarily have to be a writer, I think, to be applying some of these concepts. In fact, I, I don't even think, I mean, this is general application for life stuff. Yeah, if you, yeah. you know, project career management for creators. Yeah. You know? And that's, yeah. that is, I mean, you know, that's going to hit just about everybody. But yeah, I think that's, yeah. a, I think that's a, a, a good model. I'll check that out myself. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in Substack as a as a platform and and seeing how that uh, develops too. So we're, we've we've thought about doing um like a monthly short story Substack because we've got all yeah. the writers that we work with 
instead of saying, okay, we're going to put out an annual anthology, could we just do a sub stack? That's uh, like a monthly yeah. short story. So yeah, that's so uh, good to hear how that one goes. thing on Substack that I'll, I'll rep real quick is that they are winning some big accessibility points at the moment because there's a new feature where you can record your uh, post uh, they have an audio uh, sort of functionality. So you can record your post. So folks who get it in their email or check it out on the app or the website can click play and listen to you read it if oh, that is something that is easier for them. I'm a huge audiobook nerd. So I would love that. And a lot of the people I'm seeing on the site aren't using it enough yet. So that's a that's a call to action for the folks that are using it and an invitation for people who've been sort of sub stack uh, curious and uh, yeah well and i'm thinking of, there are you know four or five that i uh subscribe to and so and and often i'll go oh you know i love this person's work but i'm not sure i've got time right now i've got to go do right. this thing well being able to go play okay i'm you know i'm keeping up so that will be yeah. that'll be handy when you know doing ten thousand things but i also love it from the accessibility angle you know folks who totally. need that uh, that's wonderful yeah. Um, so, uh, I've been, this is a new thing. I'm now asking uh, all these wonderful writers I get to have on this show, who are their recommendations for other writers that I should have on? So who's somebody that you think of that you think that that would be a good guest? Yeah, totally. And there's so many wonderful people. Um, Summer Olson comes to mind. Uh, she's, uh, repped by the Lark group right now. She's an author. She writes, um, femme forward historical thrillers, uh, and she and I have been exchanging work for years now in a writer's group and the work that she puts out gets under your skin. It's historical fiction. And she adds these elements of, uh, you know, uh, thriller genre that make you second guess what you're reading the entire mm. time. And it's one of those great rides where you're speeding to get to the end of her work because you just want to know what the hell's like yeah. hiding behind the curtain yeah what is um, and it's very satisfying. telling us yeah yeah very satisfying so i think she would be uh, a great person to have a conversation with yeah good good call i will uh, i will definitely reach out so uh, before we get to our send-off i've got some folks i need to thank uh, thanks to max oakland who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song i prefer the dusk uh, let max know you like it by following him on twitter at max oakland with three d's uh, thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band and you'd like your song used on the show, I'd love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song, so email that to me. Thanks to Doug, the producer, for making this show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. Thank you always, Doug. Uh, and I cannot forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production of Notapie Publishing. So please go to notapiepublishing.com. Check out the amazing books written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. If you like the show, rate and review it wherever you found it. Please check out JB's author roadmapping workshop. Those, those two workshops that are coming up. Uh, and when that Cozy Cosmic comes out, grab a copy of that. And then even a very short review and a single click on that fifth star makes a huge difference. So uh, when that Cozy Cosmic comes out, give that that fifth star. Uh, and if you have three minutes, make somebody's, make, make JB's day. I mean, it does not take long to write a review. Um, I'm too old to say smash that like button for this show, uh, but Stop. if you like it, gently tap on the like button an odd number of times. That would be really appreciated. Um, and uh, so what uh, would be one thing, JB, that you would want our listeners to take away as they go into their week? Yeah. So to misquote a famous song, it is cool to be kind. Yes. Always wise to remember. Um, second, I would say a book without spaces would be gibberish and our lives need spaces too. So don't ignore the spaces. And third, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. If I take my time.